0: This is The Last Ship Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11. Thanks for joining me for the unofficial fan podcast for the TNT drama The Last Ship. I'm Al Holtz, and this is the podcast on which I discuss, analyze, and critique the show that is building walls but not making anyone else pay for them. As always, I'll begin with my general impression of the episode, followed by detailed analysis of Season 3, Episode 11, titled Legacy. I'll name the well-said moment of this week's episode, and I'll wrap up with the naval feature, Ship of the Week. So let's dive in. My general impression of this episode... This episode had some flaws, but the last few weeks have been so tense and have moved the story forward so well that any issues should be completely forgiven. This season keeps one-upping itself each week, and let's hope that that continues for the final two episodes. Even if this episode had been terrible, Tex is back, so all is right in the post-Red Flu world. The episode opens on a horse farm with several men beating Tex while Roberta Price lectures him about stealing information from her. When Tex refuses to tell her where the men he was working with are, she plays Kara's message from his answering machine, telling Tex to meet her at a gas station in Jonesboro. Tex lunges for Price, but her men stop him from getting to her, and they lock him in one of the horse stalls. He lies on the ground and begins to chuckle as we see Price's butterfly pin in his hand. It was a nice detail here that Price tells Tex he may own the only remaining answering machine. And just how great was it to see Tex again? That is a great character, and it's so well played by John Piper Ferguson. We flashback to President Mitchner in his bedroom having a drink as Secret Service agents prep his room. One of the agents takes the drink from his hand, then the other agent strangles him. And I recall in the podcast episode following Michener's death, I theorized that maybe he was killed, but surely the Secret Service agents would have seen that happen. Turns out that was exactly correct, just not in the way that I meant it. President Oliver enters his office to find Shaw there. She tells him to wear the gray suit, which he refuses. She tells him to read the speech word for word, and if he does, there will be a place for him in the new world. He asks what if he doesn't, and she tells him to wear the gray suit. Why the big deal about the choice of suit? Is this just a power thing for Shaw, showing him who's in charge? It doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything except to have him bow to her wishes. In the Nathan James briefing room, Takahaya tells Chandler, Slattery, and Sasha that he believes Peng is headed for the Japanese National Archives to destroy Japan's culture and historical materials. Slattery says Peng's Navy sinks today. On the road in northern Arkansas, Kara works on the car's engine. She and Barnes hear on the radio that Oliver is going to give a speech today. Kara tells Barnes he needs to get on the air. She tells him her friend will be at the gas station and he is the only one they can trust. At the horse barn, Renfro, one of Price's men, brings a bowl of spit-on food to the stall where Tex was locked and finds another one of the men dead and Tex missing. Renfro reports this back to Price, and she tells him to calm down. We know exactly where he's going, and she holds up the tape player with Kara's message. Meanwhile, Tex speeds down the road in the stolen pickup. At the Japanese National Archives, Peng and his men stand in front of a statue of Bishamantan, the Japanese god of warriors, the guardian of Dharma. Peng nods to one of his men and the man detonates explosives in the statue. Peng tells the men to take only the most valuable items and make a bonfire with the rest. From what I could find online, there is a National Archives of Japan and there is a building in Tokyo, but it doesn't look anything like what they were at, and it appears that it's only preserving documents and records, not all of the art and pottery and weapons that were shown here. Peng does, however, accurately describe Bishamantan. On board the Chinese destroyer CNS Henan, the men report all is normal. Chandler enters the Bridge of the James, and Garnett reports they have picked up one of the Chinese destroyers on passive radar, but no sign of the other ship. They surmise that the second ship is at MCON, and if they attack the Archives or the Henan, the second ship will fire on them. In CIC, Slattery, Granderson, and Cameron Burke brief the others that the mission is a two-pronged assault. One team will take the Henan while the other team hits the Archives. Since the Henan reports in every 15 minutes, they have a very tight window of time. Master Chief Jeter states that the Henan is a Luyang 3 class destroyer, similar to the Arleigh Burke, and he is interrupted by Captain Malin, stating that the design was ripped off. When the briefing concludes, Malin tells Chandler he'd like to help in any way he can. Chandler puts him in charge of CIC. It was great writing here to have Malin throw out that line about the Chinese ripping off the Arleigh Burke design. It shows he's still a patriot, and he's not currently adversarial toward the James crew. In Arkansas, Kara and Barnes arrive at the gas station, which appears abandoned, and Kara gives Barnes a handgun and grabs one for herself. As they walk up to the station, a man greets them and says that Tex sent him to get her and the reporter. Kara says, I never mentioned a reporter, and pulls her weapon. The man kicks the handgun and they begin to fight. Another man electroshocks Barnes, then shocks Kara, and Barnes shoots him. Another shot rings out and Barnes turns to see Tex holding a weapon. Tex helps Kara up and introduces himself to Barnes. In a barn, Tex tells Kara that Price hired him to train some guys how to protect their homes. Then the number of guys kept getting bigger, and he realized these men were to protect the regional borders. Barnes tells them Dennis was able to send him a copy of the president's speech and that he's going to suspend the United States government. Kara says Oliver cannot give that speech, and Tex says, we're going back to St. Louis. The missing piece in this story is, why didn't Michener hire Tex for the Secret Service? Michener knew Tex's skills, and that would have still permitted Tex to be with his daughter, so I'm unclear why that might not have happened. On the James, the teams load their weapons and prep for the mission. Takahaya is joining Chandler on Vulture Team, while Sasha is going with Cobra. Chandler tells Sasha to keep her head down. At the Archives... Peng's men commence with the smashing and burning. Cobra team is in the water headed to the Henan as Vulture waits outside the archives. Cobra proceeds to take the bridge and CIC of Henan and radios Vulture team giving the word to engage. Vulture team initiates a massive firefight. One of Peng's men reports to him that the Americans are there. On the Henan, Sasha hears a transmission from the second ship asking why Henan is not responding to the land team. The second ship advises if they do not respond, they will assume they have been boarded and fire on them. After a few more messages, from the second ship, one of the Henan crew members jumps up and fires missiles on the land team. Malin orders them to go active radar, and the James calculates and fires on the Chinese missiles, destroying all three. The second Chinese ship locks fire control on the James, and as they are preparing to fire, Slattery takes the console on the Henan, targets, and fires on the second ship, destroying it. Whoa, there is a lot here. First, why are the Henan crew members' hands zip-tied in front of him rather than behind him? Uh, if they're zip-tied behind him, he's not able to get to that missile launch and, and none of this ever happens. Secondly, how could Slattery have had any idea what he was looking at on that Chinese console that he fired from? He was able to target and fire faster than the chinese on their own ship could fire on the james now having said all that this was another great action sequence and how stone cold was malin in this scene when everything hits the fan he calmly orders go active get a lock on those birds and fire at will just so matter of fact showing how much of a veteran he is at this however I think we may still find a reason to dislike Malin in the final two episodes. I just get that feeling. But in spite of all that, great job in this episode by Emerson Brooks. With the missile threat neutralized, Vulture team continues their assault on the archives, taking out a number of Peng's men and reaching the bonfire. Takahaya pulls a parchment out of the fire and falls to his knees. They proceed inside and take out more men, but Peng escapes. Outside, Peng is stopped by Takahaya pointing a handgun. Peng pulls a gun and fires as Takahaya fires. Takahaya is hit and drops his gun. As Peng monologues about how Takahaya will be forgotten, Takahaya sweeps his leg, grabs the sword, and runs Peng through with it. Chandler arrives, and as Peng dies, Chandler asks him who he was working with in America. Peng tells him he has no one to trust, then runs the sword in further and dies. I can't pin down exactly why, but this just didn't seem like a gruesome enough death for Peng. Though, I I don't really know what would have, but I just wanted it to be more gruesome, more dramatic, something. Um, But he's gone. In the White House, Oliver caved and put on the gray suit. Shaw enters and tells him again to read it word for word. Outside, the regional leaders greet people and take their seats. At the Japanese archives, Chandler tells Takahaya they have taken the Chinese destroyer with the last of the anti kir missiles. Takahaya tells him he is going to stay here in Japan. Chandler shakes his hand and Vulture Team departs. Sadly, we lost two excellent characters in the same episode with Peng dead and Takahaya staying behind. But there's plenty of intrigue in St. Louis to replace them for the final two episodes. Outside the White House, Oliver gives his speech. Dennis exits another door and lets Kara and Tex in, while Barnes heads out front. As Oliver continues to speak, Barnes shouts out, Shame on you, Mr. President, and tells Oliver this is not him and that he held St. Louis together during the red flu. Oliver comes to his senses and ceases the speech. Secret Service drag Oliver away, and Shaw steps to the podium and says the President will not be taking questions. As Oliver is being dragged through the White House, Tex guns down the agents and he and Kara take Oliver. Shaw arrives and Kara trains her weapon on Shaw but does not fire. Shaw alerts the rest of the Secret Service that Oliver has been taken. Outside, a firefight ensues between Tex's men and the Secret Service while one of the agents drags Barnes across the lawn. Kathleen smashes an SUV through a gate, Kara, Tex, and Oliver jump in and they all take off. On the James, Malin tells Chandler that they found evidence that the Chinese knew where Hayward and Shackleton were going to be. Chandler tells him there are still good people at home, and Kyoko comes in with the baby to thank Chandler for everything. She then leaves to go be with Takahaya. Jessie comes in, and Chandler thanks her, then she departs on the Hilo to go deliver the cure to other parts of Asia. And of course, we lose a third great character. I hope this is not the last we see of Jessie, and if it is... They're going to need to find another Hilo for next season. As Chandler attempts to contact San Diego, Granderson enters and tells him there is something he needs to see. They join Slattery and Sasha in the briefing room to see Shaw on television stating that terrorists tried to take control of the Capitol and that the truth is that Michener, Rivera, and Beatty were all murdered. Shaw names Oliver as the lead conspirator. Now, has the U.S. population become so gullible post-virus that they will believe anything from anyone without any evidence whatsoever because that's the situation here. Elsewhere, Barnes is on his knees spitting up blood begging for his life when a bullet is fired into his head. Shaw goes on to say the same people that murdered Michener were responsible for the kidnapping of the Nathan James crew, which was planned by Captain Chandler. She then states that the regional leaders call for the suspension of the United States government and that the military has been split into four. As she continues, we see military officials being murdered. What happened to the fifth region? Beatty got killed and there are still only four other regional leaders mentioned here. So what's going on with that fifth region? Did they split up the land uh, from Beatty's region into the other regions neighboring? I'm, I'm not sure what the deal there is. Malin enters the briefing room and tells Chandler he cannot reach any of the military leaders he tried to contact. Chandler motions to the screen and tells him it's a coup and says those men are already dead. Slattery says we lost our country and Chandler says not yet, then tells Slattery to set course for San Diego. For this week's well said moment, as Barnes and Kara pull up to the abandoned gas station in Jonesboro, Barnes says where are we? Is Gene Hackman the sheriff of this place? Ship of the Week The Japanese battleship Musashi was laid down on March 29, 1938, launched on November 1, 1940, and was commissioned on August 5, 1942. Musashi was 800 feet in length and was outfitted with nine 18-inch main guns, the largest guns ever on a warship. She served in various roles during World War II, but saw little action. That all changed in October 1944. On October 23rd, a U.S. submarine sank the Japanese cruiser Maya, and the over 750 survivors of Maya were transferred to Musashi. The following day, Musashi was spotted by a U.S. recon plane. Soon after, Musashi was attacked by eight dive bombers from the aircraft carrier USS Intrepid. A furious attack followed for hours. By the time it ended, Musashi had been hit by 19 bombs, 17 torpedoes, and her deck had been strafed by multiple aircraft. That evening, Musashi went down, taking her captain and over 1,000 crew down with her. In March 2015, Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen with a team of researchers located Musashi 3,300 feet deep at the bottom of the Sibuyan Sea in the Philippines. (music) And that will do it for this week. For all things related to the podcast, including subscription links and previous episodes, Visit the show notes at thelastshippodcast.com s3e11. Our feedback question this week is, will Allison Shaw survive this season? Kara had the perfect chance to take her out, and she didn't. Do you believe that she will still be alive at the end of the season? To see episode 11 again, visit tntdrama.com, find it on your cable system's on-demand feature, or download the Watch TNT app. And join me here again next week as we discuss the second to last episode of the season. Until then, thanks for listening.